the Ortho PAC hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Welcome listeners. Today I have Dr. Preston. Dr. Ed Preston was my mentor when I came into orthopedic, hard to believe, but almost 25 years ago. Thanks for being here, Dr. Preston. My pleasure, Sam. My pleasure. Really excited about this. I've had this idea of doing a podcast with you for a long time, and we're just now getting to it, but I'm glad that you're able to come on. I wanted to talk about mentoring and, and some about our relationship and kind of working there for a while. You were, a, mm-hmm. you know, just an integral part of my knowledge base and learning and learning how to be a PA, learning how to be a clinician. I don't think we've ever talked about this much. If we did, I've forgotten about it, but <laughs> think about getting a new <laughs> what did you think about getting a new PA who was green as grass? I mean, new grad right out of the right out of school, big eyes looking around. Yeah, Sam, I was a little concerned about it, as I think anybody would be, because it's so necessary to have someone working with you that uh, you can work with, you trust, not only at work, but, you know, uh, before and after. In other words, you spend a lot of your days together, and it has to be a compatible arrangement to, to be to be satisfactory. And it was pretty clear early on that that was not going to be an issue with our arrangement. I don't think I ever asked you this, and if I did, again, I, I forget, but before us, what was your experience with PAs? I think the PA profession, you know, with Dr. Stead started late 60s, early 70s, so what was your experience with PAs prior to either of us coming around? You know, there was a, there was a lot of skepticism about it, as you know, Sam, early on. As you probably remember, I trained uh, under Dr. Stead. I was an intern in medicine on his staff at Duke. Finished medical school at Duke and then uh, interned in medicine under Dr. Stead. He saw the need for this profession way before anybody else imagined it was a possibility. He had a lot of authority just sort of built into him. Uh, people respected him, and any opinion he seemed to have, he had and would express, people would stand around and pay close attention. When he began promoting the idea, people did listen to him. And I knew also, and still do know, in fact, I've seen it. Recently, fairly, Dr. Harvey Estes, who Dr. Stead put in charge of developing that program at Duke. And uh, Harvey was a very well-known cardiologist, academic cardiologist at the time with a uh, booming career in academic cardiology. He was particularly interested in electrophysiology. And so Dr. Stead picked the right man to develop that program at Duke. And they got right on it. And you know, Early on in the program, Sam, I'm sure you know this, many doctors were very skeptical and reluctant to sort of get on board with the idea. They just weren't willing to admit that it could be a workable program. And uh, of course, there were also the uh, nurses who felt they were worried about being pushed aside. And um, they were asking their leadership, you know, they were asking out loud, well, why don't you just use nurses? put them in the same role. I mean, here we are, you know, we're ready to go. We're good to go. So uh, the whole thing, you know, the beginning of it was was a little on the rocky side. People were a little skeptical, but then it was clear that there was a need for a profession of this sort in the medical world. It just proved itself. I mean, year after year, more, more and more people, more physicians got onto it, accepted it. 
one of my first experiences was with a fellow at UNC, because I was on the faculty at the medical school at UNC. He was a Navy corpsman, and he was hired there to work in orthopedics. He talked about being a physician's associate, and um, yet he was not. He had come out, you know, the Navy and trained. And he said, you know, uh, I'm doing what they're trying to do with this program. Uh, And although you don't call me a physician's associate, you know, I'm not certified. I have training as a corpsman. So those early days were pretty fascinating. I was interested in the program from the very beginning, having a lot of confidence in Dr. Stead and Dr. Harvey Estes. I didn't have much trouble making the adjustment to it. I, you know, I wasn't at all oh, yeah. sure how it worked out over the long run, but uh, I was I was ready and willing to take part in it. Well, so far, so good. We still have, as a profession, some of those same barriers, unfortunately, but we're working on it. And I think, you know, mm-hmm. when you have people like me around, we grow on you after a while. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really true, uh, Sam. And, uh, you know, it, it got to the point where the program proved itself so clearly that physicians, associates, PAs were working on their own in rural practices. And patients uh, were asking to be seen by the, you know, by the PA. I mean, that was the relationship. I mean, it uh, it proved itself over and over again. And and with the specialization, I know, uh, you know, in cardiology and in, in, in high-tech areas like orthopedics, it became just a necessity, really, honestly. I never doubted the program would work its way out, but it was a little little uh, rocky early on. But it, it developed momentum pretty early on in, in the uh, years, and there was really no stopping it, no turning it around. I think it's an amazing thing. Stead was... Uh, was a well-known academic cardiologist and researcher, educator, but I think this is one of his, maybe his main accomplishment, um, this very program, this very profession. And, uh, you know, who would have guessed that early on? I'm glad he did it. There's a, there's a lot of us out there that are glad that he did it. I think it's fascinating. For those of you that don't know Dr. Preston, there's most of you probably don't. Dr. Preston has like a photographic memory. I remember seeing patients that he would say, well, how's, your, how's Susie doing? And what's she doing up in Virginia Tech? And I, I, I would be like, Dr. Preston, how do you remember this stuff? Let's, let's move forward. I wanted to talk more about you. You've been retired for quite a while now. Looking back, what kind of got you set up in medicine? What what drove you to that as a career? And then what specifically about orthopedics? What got you interested in that? I went to uh, Duke undergraduate school. I remember that first year, first few weeks there on the campus, and I uh, was living in Kilgo dormitory, and we had the usual bull sessions, uh, the new students freshman year, meeting each other and then talking about, well, what are you, what are you majoring in and so forth? I remember, I wasn't sure what to major in at all when I went there because there's no, there are no physicians in my family. We were all sitting around in a room one night talking about, oh, I'm pre-law, I'm pre-business, I'm doing a business degree. I decided, you know, I think I'm going to be pre-med. That's pretty straightforward, and uh, I'm going to have a crack at that. I mean, I didn't really know that much about the medical profession, obviously. Having grown up in a small town and uh, had a family practitioner as our family doctor, a GP. So I uh, signed on to the pre-med curriculum, and it was good in many ways because not only did I get on the path to medical school, but from that point on, I was completely uh, sure that about my 
chosen direction. And uh, I didn't worry about uh, from there on about, well, should I take this or take that or take this or that? It was all laid out. I was able to finish up the curriculum requirements in three years and uh, applied to medical school at Duke and Emory and uh, got accepted at both. And that just, uh, I mean, you know, once you're on that path, I mean, there's no looking to the right or left. Oh, it's a it's a full time occupation, as you as you know. You're totally and completely engaged every day for years. So um, I never, oddly enough, I never doubted I was doing the right thing. And uh, one thing about being at Duke, I did the uh, internship, and when I was at Duke, in my education <clears throat> uh, there, the uh, people in internal medicine they seem to be the strongest faculty members. Somehow, Duke seemed to celebrate its medical research types more than it did its surgeon types. I'm not sure why that was, and I'm not sure the surgeon types today would agree with that. But I felt um, that that was the direction that I wanted, and that's why I did the medical internship with Dr. Stead. I had planned to do a career in academic internal medicine and uh, had a residency lined up in Seattle at University of Washington and by that time, uh, time I finished medical school, I was married to Nancy, and we had reserved an apartment in Seattle. And uh, so I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm headed for a career in academic uh, medicine, and may very well wind up living on the West Coast. I mean, who can say? That seemed to be the line I was taking. I was perfectly happy with that direction. In 1961, there was this sort of international crisis between Russia and the U.S. when uh, Nikita Khrushchev put up the Berlin Wall. Kennedy was president, John F. Kennedy, his first year. And had, I was doing a research training program at Duke at that time under Dr. Weingarten, preparing for academics. And word went around that Kennedy was going to talk on television that night, and it would be wise to listen. So uh, Nancy and I did, and he said, well, uh, we now have an international problem. We're going to have to mobilize the U.S. forces, and there will be a draft, and careers are going to be interrupted. And Nancy and I both knew that I would be drafted, and sure enough, I was. And about, about two weeks later, I got a notice from my draft board that I was being called into the military. I went into the uh, U.S. Air Force and uh, was eventually sent to a large hospital base, actually, in England. I was uh, assigned to the orthopedic uh, unit in that hospital. And there were a couple of orthopedists there. One was Jack Forrest, who had trained in orthopedics at Duke. The other was Marv Newby, who trained at the University of Texas. And uh, this orthopedic service was the largest one in the hospital. And I was working on that service for two years with Marv and Jack. I really liked it. It was terrific. Uh, they were well-trained. They were a lot of fun, and uh, we had a lot of interesting cases and work. And I thought, gosh, you know, this is where I belong. What am I doing in internal medicine? I changed my mind and uh, contacted University of Washington and canceled out and applied for orthopedic programs. I applied to Mayo Clinic and Harvard, and I got into both of those, but decided to go to Boston. So I went there for the orthopedic training and spent four years there training and uh, really had uh, just a terrifically good experience. And Sam, you asked me about a fellowship, and I did think about a fellowship when I was in my last year of training. Uh, and we had a visiting professor, a fellow named Carol Larson, who was head of orthopedics at the University of Iowa. 
I had a little time with him just to talk about the future and the career and all that. And I asked him what he thought about my doing a fellowship in joint replacement. And he said, I think it's not a good idea. He said, I think you should just go to work. He said, head on down to uh, UNC, which is where I was going. Just get busy with your faculty job. Uh, that sounded good to me. Uh, he was a very respected leader in orthopedics in the country at that time. And so that's what I did. I finished training in Boston and uh, got the academic job at uh, UNC. It was a very small program uh, there at the time, and, but but very ambitious. And um, so that that was it. Uh, they put me in charge of uh, of joint replacements. We were just getting onto the total joint replacements at that time. And in Boston, I had trained extensively in joint replacements with uh, uh, Bill Harris and and uh, Dr. O. Frank. And they were really pioneers and leaders in, in the U.S. in joint replacement. And uh, so that was my job at UNC, as well as uh, trauma and, and pediatric orthopedics. We had a small faculty, so we really had to do everything. And I was there uh, for about seven years on the faculty and then uh, decided to uh, open a private office, which I did. Mm-hmm. And uh, with a lot of uh, good luck, you know, in partners and uh, opportunities, we expanded sort of year after year after year and built uh, just an excellent comprehensive orthopedic and and uh, other medical services uh, practice. It was really, really quite a, quite a good ride, wasn't it, Sam? Yeah, absolutely, Dr. Preston. This is great. I really appreciate it. And if you ever needed a mentor, Dr. Preston was the guy. He took me under his wing <laughs> and for a couple of years, you know, taught me orthopedics and that kind of made me where I am. So I got to thank you for that and great stuff today. And Sam, I want you to know it was a great pleasure working with you. It was just an absolute pleasure. I'll never forget it. We had a great time. We had a great time. Yeah, we did. We did. All right, Dr. Preston, thank you so much. Yep. Take care, Sam. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Please follow the physician assistants in orthopedic surgery on social media. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please subscribe to our podcast. If this has been helpful, please take a moment to leave a review.